This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tone Aries podcast. I'm your host, James, and I'm joined, as always, my good friend, Timmy Long. Hi, everyone. Dave Cashman is our guest today. How's the farm, Dave? Not too bad, lads. How are you doing? We're here to talk about trauma and farm education. But before we get into that, you're from a big... Uh, GA family, aren't you? I am. Well yeah. known? Yeah, relatively well known anyway, yeah. So, so you're a Black Rock man? Black Rock man, yeah. Rockies so, was your club? Yeah, yeah. Played senior up until a couple of years ago there. Where were that? Yeah, so... Were you part of the carry on during COVID? With no, the I actually missed that. I'd say you were in the middle of that now, Dave. I missed it. So for the people that don't know, they won a county final, which is a big thing in Cork. Yeah, it was, yeah. And, but it was in the middle of COVID when you were on supposed to be outside your door, I'm sure. Yeah. Them gorios out the south side took no <laughs> heed of that. I wouldn't know, I wasn't there at all. <laughs> but listen, if you win a county final, you have to celebrate it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, like, I, I was lucky, I, I won two early on in my career. Like, I was only about 18 or 19, and I played in four senior finals. Go ahead. Two, one, two. But, um, yeah. your uncle is one of the most decorated hurlers of all time. Yeah, Tom and well, Jim won a few All Irelands, and Tom would have won four. And he was, I think, Tom was, um, Selected on the team of the century back in the two, and he actually, you, you, I remember you sent me a, a text message there. You, you were right, with Jimmy Barry. Right, yeah. Then he didn't win the Echo Car Furler all time there. No, no, he didn't. There recently, like, actually, so. we the I had the honour of interviewing um, Dave uh, or Teddy Mac actually not long ago, not long before he passed away. Yeah. You know, that was a huge shock, wasn't it? Yeah, and actually Jim and Teddy would be best friends, like older, yeah. they would have been the same age, and Teddy was, he was only with him the week before, so it was a shock and a huge yeah. loss to, yeah. to Cork, GA oh. and Cork in general. Like, yeah, you know. absolutely, absolutely. But um, you're doing a PhD, and how we met initially was we both got the same scholarship for the PhDs. I'm going to come away to do this podcast, but you're nearly finished now. Yeah. And you're going to talk to us a little bit about that. Kind of, yeah. But you're also the principal in Educate Together, Southley. Southley Educate Together, yeah. So we're a new school over in the, the um, over basically based in the grounds of Colossus Stefan Nathan. And did you start out as a primary school teacher? I did. Uh, well, I started out, like, I suppose when I go back, I finished school and uh, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do, to be honest with you. Um, do you know, I went to college and I initially did arts and... After that, then I did a postgrad in UCC in business economics. It was that time, it was kind of around the time of the Celtic Tiger and everyone was kind of saying you should go into kind of businessy kind of subjects, you know, and I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do. And really I had zero interest in it, you know. I was always involved in hurling and I was always involved in sport and coaching and I coached a lot of teams underage and I got a fierce amount of enjoyment out of it and helping basically the young teams in Blackrock and we, we kind of had a bit of success along the way too but you know I got really huge amount of enjoyment out of it and I decided to go back teaching and I enrolled I got got into the postgrad in education and I one of my first jobs then I, I taught in Douglas and I was doing a bit of sub teaching in Douglas this was before I was qualified back mm. in back those days they were looking for, there was a serious shortage of teachers and uh, I was kind of doing a bit of subbing in um in Douglas in the this, the autism class over in Douglas Boy School and they were looking for a sub to teach in the autism class at the time in Cork there was only two autism classes there was one in called Padre Pio in Churchfield and the other was in Douglas so 
they'd kind of share subs. Um, so I went up when I was teaching in Skull Padre Pio and I went up expecting to be teaching there and they, I, I got put into the early start. Oh yeah. oh yeah, it was great crack. And <laughs> I remember the parents every day. It was my first kind of real kind of insight into the north side. They used to be calling me kindergarten cop there for every day when they collected, <laughs> you know. So um, so I taught there for a couple of weeks and I stayed there for nearly the bones of a year, you know. I was teaching there for the bones of a year and ended up teaching then. I got a permanent job down in Strawberry Hill in Sunday's Well Boys School. Yeah. Um, taught there for a number of years and I became principal, deputy principal and principal there after about like six years um, as principal. That's so much achievement yeah. for a teacher to be going and become deputy and then principal after six years. Yeah. What age, yeah? 30. Yeah. Common yeah, yeah. for somebody so young to be in senior position like that. Yeah, it wouldn't be uncommon. No, definitely not. Like we'll probably talk about that at some point. It's it's a really, the the job now is kind of very difficult. It comes with a lot of occupational stress, I suppose, you know. And, but yeah, it, it is a lot, a lot more common now. Yeah. And it, Can I ask you something? Okay. You know, when you have the old school teachers, you know, teachers that myself and James would have had in primary and secondary school, in one section, but they're 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 more or less maybe coming to the retirement age and yeah. whatever. But then you have the new younger generation of teachers coming in. How like I often wondered how the new generation teachers would get on with the older ones and their kind of the how they, their strategies and in, into in teaching and maybe disciplining kids and stuff. What was your experience with some of that? Yeah, like I'll be honest with you, you know, when I when I came into Strawberry Hill, there was a couple of older teachers there that, and I really learned a lot from them. Mm. It, like the teachers that were there, like there was, they were actually very kind mm. and they really did me want the best for the kids. I never kind of experienced the whole old style print teacher, to be honest with you. I, I, like at the time, there was my first principal when I was in Strawberry Hill was Michael Walsh, He's still one of my best friends to this day. He's just retired there a number of years ago. Antonio Farrell was the deputy principal and Paddy Lynch ended up taking over. And like they were nearly, I suppose, ahead of their times in the way they kind of looked after. And all the kids that kind of, I suppose, needed an arm around their shoulder. They needed the kind of secure base and the secure attachment type relationship. And they, I kind of learned a lot from from them, to be honest with you. Um, I get, what, what, I get what you're coming from, yeah, like as course. well, though. Because what, what do the new, did the new generation of teachers bring? To yeah, so <laughs> like, like I suppose teaching is completely different from when we started. Like you know, it's very play based, um, and you know the Ashton curriculum in the early years is excellent in terms of developing a play-based pedagogy, you know, and you want your kids to be active in their learning. You want them to be, I suppose, engaged in learning. And that's the way kind of education is now. It's that it's very engaging and it's very active. And I think that's what a lot of the new teachers that are, that are coming out are, I suppose, they're bringing to the table, they're bringing a lot of like explorative learning as well, which is, which is really good going. A lot of people won't know what pedagogy means. Yeah, I suppose different types of ways, ways of teaching things, yeah. basically, um, trying, trying to do different types of ways of doing things like Ashtar, for example, I just give you an example of it in from junior infants to kind of second class, you learn through a theme. So you might have the theme of, we'll say the garden center. And you would have one station, which would be construction area and they'd build the garden center. Next would be a small world area where you'd have act out scenes in the garden center. Or then likewise, then you'd have a socio-dramatic area where they actually dress up and they do things. And we actually nearly bring in plants and they plant things for them. And then you have your junk art where you, where you use basically materials to make stuff that you might see in the garden centre. The same thing might be the airport, it might be the, so your the, the police station, yeah. the hospital, the doctors. So you're trying to teach kind of social situations through, through play, basically. And like play bit of learning. They'd have like a, a kind of a critical pedagogy where the children up there would be very socially and politically aware and there'd be a sense of activism about it as well. You know? Yeah. So, um, pretty much the same. It's similar, similar in educate together schools as well. It? Like, and they're non denominated, well, non quality based. So, so like, there's four pillars to educate together schools. So, one is they're equality based, child centered, democratically run. So, we listen to the student voice and the parent voice and teacher voice. And then it's co educational. So, all educational together schools are, 
are co-educational. And what do you notice a lot of, you know, in your school, do you notice a lot of the kids that are going there prefer to learn on a practical base, like the art, maybe the, the, the P, maybe some of the, maybe woodwork classes and things like that. Is that, are, are you, are schools becoming more familiar around what's important to kids these days? Because not every child is academic. You know, not every child wants to sit down and learn because we were speaking beforehand, you have to fight, fly and freeze. You know, I, I remember when I was in school, it, I wasn't academic. And when I came across an issue on the board or on the maths book or whatever, I would freeze and then I would become very anxious. And then that voice in my head where I had this belief that I was stupid and taken would start playing. You know, um, so what, what's the approach? Do you know if you have a child now that's dyslexic or dyspraxic or whatever, how do you approach a child like that today? Well, like, I suppose early intervention is probably key, you know, and like what will happen a lot of the times is you kind of see it in the early classes. And we, we like in our school, I'm just going to give you an example of we like this is probably different from a lot of schools, but in St. Junior Infants, what we try and do is we have a lot, a lot of outdoor learning. So then we have the literacy group in a small group. So half when the kids come in, actually, we talk to you even about how we start the day really, yeah. because transition from home to school is a big thing. And um, I was talking to you beforehand, like about, you know, having a kind of trauma informed school and trauma aware school. And like one of the first things is the start of the day and the transition from home to school. So in our school, we, we started half past eight, but the gates open a quarter past. And the first thing, like first thing I do every morning is a quarter past, I stand at the gate and meet and greet, meet every child, either shake their hand, give them a high five or say hello to them. And just, it might be something small, but then there's another layer then that there's, we have more teachers afterwards after me who do the exact same thing. My deputy is brilliant. We've coupled some other teachers who do the exact same thing. But then you always have someone as well looking out for a child that is a bit anxious about coming to school and they're allowed to play in the yard for the first 15 minutes then. So then we go into class and we have a soft start. Um, soft start is kind of just having manipulatives and you getting your getting your brain working through fine motor skills. It might be a small bit of building. It could be peg work or something like that. But it's important that that's done nearly in the, every classroom. I was just in a, in a school there. Blarney Street Boys School there and it's Boys and Girls School now actually sorry and they've, they they had Sharon Lambert in with them and she actually said the same thing about having those fine motor activities as a kind of pro positive primer for the day it's priming the brain to get ready to learn so you're not like sitting down in the class right lads pro job busy at maths yeah straight away and then Barry do you remember them yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and then Barry <laughs> and had a van Barry had a lorry I seen, a, I seen a, something on social media it was a few years ago I think it was in Palestine it was a in a school for I'm gonna say ten year old. There's a ten year old's class. There was a teacher, and when they he stand them by the door as the kids come into the school into the class, and he points to the wall and on the wall there's four or five different pictures. And yeah. One is a picture of somebody getting a hug. One is a high five. five. One's a fist, fist bump. And one is just yeah. Malone. And he's he he when when he comes in he's waiting. The child then points to what they want. And then he gives yeah. them a hug, he gives them a fist bump, or he just leaves them alone. And, and you, they choose how they and, and you'd be surprised how common that is now in mm -hmm. schools. Like, you genuinely would. Yeah. And I, what I love sometimes is there, I, I had a, one of our junior infants there, and I send around the social story to our, all of our junior infants before they start school with, with things in it to kind of trying to get them ready for school. And on one of them was a picture of me saying, this is Dave. I'll be at the gate every morning and I'll give you a high five. And there was a couple of mornings I didn't give her a high five and she was giving out to her mom that I didn't give her a high five, you know? So it's amazing. The small things yeah. make a big difference. Yeah. But having someone then on call ready to, to see anyone who is anxious about coming to school and then having a, a safe space for them to go to in school, then you're, you're soft start. And then we have a morning meeting. So in the first 20 minutes of the day, it's very, very much getting children in a, in a ready to learn zone so that they're ready to learn. The morning meeting, they come in and sit around in a circle, kind of like this, and they have a bit of a greeting first, introduce themselves to the group, even though they know each other for, for years. Then we do a check-in. So it could be an emotional check-in where you, you, you kind of color code it in zones of regulation, or it could be at two thumbs. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good, but I'm feeling tired, mm -hmm. but it's constantly developing that emotional literacy so that children can tell you how you feel. 
And then you can actually get into the learning side of thing after you have the, the positive start today and the positive primer of the day. Transitions then again, you, you know, mm. remember when you're in the yard, you go to the yard and you're playing ball and yeah. well, the game doesn't go your way and you're like a dog and t- tensions are high. Like you take those games very seriously. Like, you know, then you're doing long division dominance there. Yeah. So, so like one of, we identified one of that as a kind of a, a transition from yard back into school. So how do you bring down the temperature? So we step it. So we have four whistles and then three. And on th- th- those first four or three whistles, the kids are allowed to walk around the yard and talk, but they have to tidy up and leave it in the place to, to leave it in the way to have it. So you're teaching them that they have a bit of responsibility and respect for their the surroundings, but you're also just dialing down the temperature. Right. Like Dan Siegel, he calls it connect and redirect. You're allowing them to connect, but you're, you're redirecting them away from, from the highness. And then we bring them in together. We have two whistles and then one. And then we do a, a whole school breeding activity. So you're trying to teach them different breeding techniques that they can use as life skills and any kind of negative emotion using the 90 second rule to come out of like the loop of negative emotions, you know? Mm. So those transitions and routines, like we were chatting a while ago about Bruce Perry and Bruce Perry, he talks about like the neurosequential model of therapeutics. But that's also translated to the neurosequential model of education. What does that even mean? What does it mean? Yeah, I was just going to say it like in layman's terms, like if you imagine it like the brain as an upside down triangle, right? And you have the brain stem at the bottom. And if you're under chronic stress and you're under, if you've experienced adverse childhood experience, adverse ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, or if you're in chron- under chronic stress, from a multitude of reasons, you're living in the brainstem, like you're living in in amygdala hijack. You're you're basically fight or flight, fight or flight. And Bruce like Perry rational thinking. Yeah, but Bruce Perry, if you imagine the analogy of an upside down triangle, so at the bottom you have regulate, so a child needs to regulate before they can relate, mm. and then they need to relate before they can reason. So what it's kind of saying is right. Allow a child to regulate first then he can relate and form trusting relationships with the adults in the school. And then the executive function or the, the kind of like the learning can happen. So, so like, I kind of like the, the, start, the soft start. Yeah. You know, at the so, so, so bringing it in softly at the start of the day, you're regulating them to get them ready to have relationships basically and positive relationships. And then you can actually enable them to be ready to learn. Because and you don't actually know what where the, what a child is coming from. You don't know where that child is coming from. Walking in your door, they may have came from a home that there was mad stuff going on all night, and they probably didn't get too much sleep. You know, there may have been violence or drug addiction or whatever else may have happened, and they're walking in the door, and their head is still stuck in them trying to understand what has just happened the night before. Yeah. And they could be blaming themselves and there mightn't be no form at all t- to relate. But if you're going in there and they see a smiling face, that can change the whole perception. But if you're going, they're going in there and there's a teacher shouting and roaring at them because they forgot their homework or didn't, weren't able to do it, that child is getting the message that everybody's just there's something wrong with me everybody's giving me shit everybody yeah and they start getting that core belief system then that we were speaking about earlier on but just core beliefs starting to build up within the child at the young age because of the way adults are treating them and then they start going on to start to believe that they're being they're bad people and that's why everybody's treating them badly they don't understand that maybe the adults in the family home are struggling with mental health or drug addiction and their own stuff and maybe going into school, then they might be dealing with a teacher that doesn't read, it's not trauma informed and doesn't understand what's going on in that child's home. You know, can you? Yeah. Like, a little bit about that. Even like, I suppose, even when you're going back, when you bring it back to, I suppose, the brain architecture and things like that, like when you're living in the, 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 the brain stem or the reptilian brain, you're kind of asking, am I safe? And then when you go to the limbic system, your emotional side is, am I loved? And then, the, so it's, those are the two kind of core things that you kind of need to think of, right? One, everyone needs to experience a secure base and a sense of safety. And sometimes that's important that like if a child doesn't experience that at home, that they do experience it at school. 
and there are a number of ways of doing that like like creating that consistency of approach you know like body language and tone they're very very important things we spoke about restorative practice a while ago yeah. which is fantastic but it has to be integrated in in with your body language and tone and a coin tone and like i suppose when i when i think back when i was sometimes we kind of i know this is diverting from the question you asked me yeah. but when i was a young teacher like i'll never forget like some like some of the things that i suppose are, i was you know you you have misbehavior and you get triggered yourself and then you kind of nearly take it as a challenge and your body language goes wrong and your tone goes wrong and then you dysregulate the child more and then they dysregulate you more and it turns what could be a simple situation to fall, solve into a, a huge moment of de-escalation for both the adult and the child. So uh, for me, a trauma-informed approach actually is for the adult to be able to say, look, this is what's happening. I'm experiencing dysregulation and I'm in now in a kind of fight, flight or freeze as well. And I kind of don't know how to handle it. So I just need to take 10 minutes to to, to, to regulate, like, you know, to and disengage for a couple of minutes so that I can actually come back in a meaningful way and show the child I care and I'm there for them. Mm. Sometimes actually leaving the situation is, is the best option, you know, mm. Do you know, but it's again, when you're particularly when you're a young teacher or when you've just started out, you feel like you need to solve all of the problems yourself or, or it's a sign of weakness mm. where it's not and you know, like a lot of the times we have to be a small bit vulnerable and say, right, I just need to actually find out more and I need to regulate myself before I go back and actually yeah, deal with it. Is there any like uh, trauma informed module or element to the core teacher training? No, not in, not in the public. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Because um, your, 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 your base and then the quality of uh, education, trauma-informed education based off, I suppose, the ethos of the principal or individuals. Yeah, do you know what I will say? Standardised. Do you know what I will say, right? So, like, I will say, like, there's a trauma-informed module in Maynooth in Criterion Tool has one there for the Masters in Education and there's one in UCC as well. I think there's one in CIT with Judith as well. I don't know if you know Judith Butler and, and Maria Lottie, but they're not compulsory, they're elective, right? But what you have in kind of core education is a module on classroom management and a, I think a module on kind of like special aid, right? But the classroom management stuff is based on behaviorist principles. Like, so again, what I mean by that is like a star chart and a re reward, good behavior. Conditioning. But, behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conditioning. Like, why would yeah. something so important not be compulsory within the yeah. structure of, of the teachers? It's, it's just, I suppose, a lot of kind of systems working inside because us. If you look at, you look at what it would mean for a teacher to be trauma informed, that could change the whole outcome of a child's belief of, of how school is. And I, that's, that actually brings me to actually how it happened for me, to be honest with you. Um, as I said, it was principal in Strawberry Hill. And so I was also kind of quite involved in Young Nakhnehini at the time. It's Let's Grow Together now. And we were getting a lot of training. And at the time, um, the, the Cork City Council kind of funded Karen Treisman. I don't know if you've ever... It was that. Yeah. yeah. And City Hall. Yeah. So you had the two, there was, was, there was one in City Hall and one in Rochestone Park. I was at the City Hall one a couple of days, yeah. And for me, that was kind of transformational in my approach in education, to be honest with you. I found that when you, when I learned about stress and the brain, chronic stress in the brain, adverse childhood experiences, how all of those things, how all of those things impact on a child's natural development. Once you know it, once you, once you, once you know it, you can't unknow it. Uh -huh. And that's what I found was that like, it was that kind of layer of knowledge that was missing. Um, likewise, I don't know if you've ever come across nurture training. Um, Susan Givney, Givney delivers it in Ireland. Yeah. There's a lot of kind of trauma informed kind of principles behind nurture trains. Essentially what a nurture room is, it's based on attachment theory. So attachment theory is basically when when you're young, you're born 
and you form a bond with a, a caring adult. Normally it's your mom. And basically when you cry, you're soothed. When you're upset, you, she knows how to soothe you. And it, it, those interactions form an attachment theory. Sometimes those things are missing. Yeah. So a nurture room basically is a room in, in the school that has a kitchen area, has a living room area and kids are brought there. And the first thing they do is actually have a cup of tea, slice of toast with, with a trusted adult. So you're going to have one of those in Ocnaheny Secondary School above for the first years going in. They have a, a kitchen space, yeah. seat, sitting, seating area, and they just all the first years go in there and they have the lunch up there for the first year. Yeah. And, and I think Again, though, those trauma farm principles, like I was talking to another one of the principals and he, he, he was an older principal and he said, I just wish I, when I was in college in the 80s, I, I was taught about this because it would have changed some of the moments that you had over the course of your, your, your teaching career, you know. And it's no fault of any no, teacher. No. Because it's like nobody intentionally treats another human being in, in, in the wrong manner. It's, it's just, it's just some, some conditioning and I suppose when you know better, as Gillian Butler says, yeah. you do better. Do better. Exactly. It's, it's actually so true. Yeah. You know, like... But why are we so... Like, why is the trauma-informed thing only coming around now when psychologists have probably been talking about trauma's effect on people for hundreds of years? Yeah. Like, you know, what they say about research, it takes like 20 or 30 years for actually research tech. You'll be dead and buried by the time. Oh, that yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it's it's so true, isn't it? It yeah. does. It does. It's kinda, a long time. It takes a long time. You know, like wrap my head around is why the answers are there for the education system. Why aren't they being implemented for the best education system to yeah. every child that has their own individual learning differences and behavioural issues? The right way. Is there objections to it from the Department of Education or is there a, so. a clash in ideologies or like? Like, do you know, it's funny you say it like, because like, do you know, in the US at the moment, it's very partisan between the Republicans and Democrats. Yeah. I was talking to a, to a guy over there in, in he's a, he works in sustainability in the US and I was talking to him recently and he was saying like, every time you kind of put some sort of intervention in sustainability, it's kind of, you have to be very, it's a very, very thin line because it's so partisan, you know. Yeah. In Ireland, I don't think there is, but what I think it is, is that there's just too many silos in our system. Like there's too many, there's no no real joined up thinking where you even, even within, I suppose, part of education, there's so many different silos doing different things and everyone means well. Everyone's trying to do the right thing, but it's just that there's no kind of joined up thinking to pull it all together. And even the way trainings are delivered, again, it's, it becomes really, really challenging because there's loads of different silos. And likewise, there's a bit of gatekeeping then as well. There's, there's kind of, sometimes there's this, an element of this is the way we've always kind of done it like, you know, mm. so, so like. I think it's just that lack of joined up thinking is the, is the difficulty. Mm. I think we, we met um, the Secretary General of the Department of Education a few weeks ago. Very nice fella. I have his number on my phone. You could text him there. Or there. Or bringing him on. Or yeah, yeah. Phone call, say, oh, he's the man that can get it done. Like, like if, it would, if, it, if it was a directive from the department, then yeah. like if you want this teaching job, you have to do this. Then, then as Timmy's right, like it's the evidence is clear. Why, why isn't it being done? Yeah, and like I, I, I don't know who was saying this, but I, I think you're at the same conference as me. Trauma farm practice is based practice. Like, yeah, it it creates the conditions. There's for, no like for learning that ambiguity around that. I, no, I mean, there's that's not up for debate. Like, but is there a sense of some principals and some schools uh, they don't want to deal with um, the, those type of children and I'm not going to name no schools yeah, yeah. like that but there's a certain couple of schools in the north side that would have different ideologies around this stuff in this school here they'll get expelled for innocuous stuff and they end up over in this school then who would see that innocuous stuff as the trauma response you know Yeah. yeah. but from this school, school's perspective and I don't know anybody in this school in this school's perspective it's easier for them to just get rid of those challenging children and just be left with the people that are academically able and motivated. Yeah. And then you have the more uh, principals like yourself then, 
you see that challenge in a child and you see a lot of potential you, know, you see you see the child that needs to be helped not the student that's causing your problems you know what I mean yeah quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I would say what I kind of think sometimes is like... You have to be careful now because no, no. your uh, principal yeah. conference there, you'll be... No, do you, know what, do you know what I was thinking? I was thinking as you were talking there, you know? Yeah. Like the transition thing, going back to even the transition and like in general primary schools, to be honest with you, because you have the same teacher all day long and because you don't have exams, you're kids get really taken care of like in, yeah. in modern primary schools. But we've always said that like in primary school you know, the one teacher they know you the family yeah. and all that when you go into secondary it is a culture shock. Yeah it is yeah. And it's very much like um, you're in science maths geography 40 minutes the buzzer goes different class different teacher some children can get lost in that and I did myself. Yeah and also there's like inconsistency as well in terms of like personalities like yeah. so so you're like if you have a child that's actually has experienced trauma and like we might even talk about the terminology of the whole trauma thing there in a while as well yeah. because like that's that actually brings another thing I know Don hates it the whole trauma-informed practice thing yeah. like and it's like and I kind of would be similar I think it's a kind of a basic human right to be honest yeah. with you I'd nearly prefer to see it as like humored, human centred education as yeah. opposed to trauma like yeah. th that it's for everyone it's not for yeah. the, the the percentage that is, have experienced trauma this yeah. is this is this but it's for everyone. everyone it's it's for everyone to understand so they can understand each other yeah so and they can treat each other with respect and not throw down judgment in somebody who behaves in a different way to the way they do or the way they have taught to be normal growing yeah. up because and that's what trauma that's 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 the best understanding for me around trauma informed and what it means to me is so others who don't understand it and who haven't lived that exact experience as this child here who's been completely traumatized growing up because of their environment so this human being here who has had a loving and caring family school all these different things growing up can understand why this child here is behaving in this way. Yeah. And they can have some compassion and care for, yeah. for them without doing all judgment. And look after and people yeah. and, and kind of engage in people to look after each other. And that's that that's why I would love for everybody to get trauma informed. Yeah. I think it's something that we should introduce into schools at the youngest possible age for them to understand where they can understand the whole subject because it will change humanity and that people will treat each other they'll look across the when it's like it's like this if there's a teacher up there and they're talking about trauma informed practice on the board and there's two children here sitting down and there's this child here who's had all the best teens growing up this and, and there's another child over here and they have nothing and they're actually worried about what they're going home to that child that's sitting here on the left might look at the board and they might have a, an aha moment because what the teacher's trying to explain in the board and they look after that child and say, fuck, I never again going to speak like him, like that to him. Are going to treat him like that, are going to bully him or pull him down, you know, and that's, 
that's what's important to me. And having kids can have it. And teaching a bit of compassion as well for each other. Yeah. And like back to kind of what we were saying, like the whole, I think that there is a big, a big kind of like, like one, I suppose, the positive side of things, like we, we, I think we all know some amazing school completion workers as well, yeah. who like, like yeah, talking, I was just chatting earlier about Ingrid there, who is a really good friend of mine does amazing work and has been since I know her, like going back like 15 years up in, up, up in, up in the Northside schools. I think like support for all of those type of organizations, like, like our school completion programs, I think we need more kind of support where we can have like trusted adults, like for like, like Ingrid is doing nurture and, and her team, all the guys in, in the school community team, they are they they do nurture without even never been trained in it. Mm. Do you know they are trauma informed without even realizing they have been for the last fifteen years. So some of it comes from a bit of intuition as well, like you know. But again, the exam system in 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 the secondary schools doesn't help. It doesn't help our most vulnerable kids anyway. Definitely mm. not. Like you know, like mm. it because again, it adds another layer of accountability and high stakes accountability in terms of like, you know, we're probably at an age now of like well-being and identity and learning where we're trying to bring well-being and learning together. That's what Andy Hargraves would say anyway, right? But, you know, it's really, really difficult when at the end of the day, in secondary schools, we have to prepare the kids for exams. And ultimately, sometimes that just becomes the bottom line when kids go into secondary school for for schools is like exam uh, the exam the exams become i suppose they have to they have the power like it's the exam becomes like a powerful thing where you're kind of where it can define your your life outcomes you know mm. and that's okay i think one of the problems in secondary school is like creating yeah the pressure of exams and then yeah. the pressure of exams on teachers mm -hmm. and on staffs have you any opinions on a better system for secondary school i think gems on a personal level i think we should focus more on well-being and give and ensure kids how to regulate how to process stuff and i think the educational stuff once they can do that other stuff the education will come second hand mm. because they'll be able to focus more because they're regulating because they know how to they know how to talk they can understand their own stuff that's going on from in their lives yeah. no and, and and they're not afraid to talk you know the, the, and education is very very important but all the children are getting lost in the education system because they can't, they, they haven't got the ability to, to get the education. In, in primary schools, actually, there's a new curriculum coming yeah. this year, actually. And well-being is an actual, for the first time, is a strand that's given the same time allowance. Now, they've grouped in well-being with, uh, with like physical education and well-being and kind of SBHE kind of stuff. But it's been given the same, same time allowance now as literacy and numeracy, which is really kind of, mm. I suppose, that's but good. It's a really, it's a really change. positive change, and it's that's it's a new curriculum that has just come in for all primary schools. Like it, it's not like it's literally it was in the draft kind of framework for the last couple of years, but it's in it's being embedded over the next two years, which is really positive as well. Like you know, talk to us about your own framework. Um, my own framework, yeah. So my kind of my the title of my PhD is it's a uh, bear with me now because when I say it there sometimes people don't have a clue what I'm talking about <laughs> uh, it's the design development our design implementation and evaluation of a systems and trauma reform model of positive education so what I've kind of looked at was the first thing I looked at really was the literature on positive education um, and positive education is applying positive psychology to education settings and um do you ever do you know martin seligman have you ever heard of him no. the kind of coined the phrase um positive psychology and then positive education came from it and there was a number of studies done in different places of about applying positive education and how it it can how basically well-being and academic achievement can actually go hand in hand you can actually have both exactly exactly what you're saying basically so that's what kind of positive education is and um so 
then I kind of was looking at the literature and I read this book called Contextual Wellbeing by a lady over in Australia called Helen Street. And who subsequently I've had numerous kind of like uh, Zooms with, it was during, I read it during lockdown and we had a couple of Zoom messages too. And basically she kind of argues that well-being and positive education and well-being in schools is kind of like, you can't have a one for one, one, one model fits all. It's all based on context. Every, every school context is different because of the location, because of the people. And basically she kind of looked at kind of how, I suppose every context is different, but you have to kind of co-create your model with the school. So what I kind of did then was I kind of said, right, look, I'm going to, I'm going to look at well-being of principles, look at well-being of, and I'm going to interview principals. I'm going to look at well-being of teachers. I'm going to look at well-being of kids through a student voice piece. And kids was a great one, actually, because I did a photo voice piece that allowed them to take pictures of what makes them feel well in school. And then they kind of led the interview rather than me interviewing it. And then I kind of put together a framework based on that and, their, and the parent voices too. I'm putting the framework together. And, and what I kind of put together, first of all, was about collective teacher efficacy, the power of the team and having consistency amongst the adults, like what's collective teacher efficacy. Yeah. yeah so it's a concept um, by a researcher called John Hattie. And basically it just shows that the collective beliefs, belief among staff and the collective practice among staff far is far more, it produces far more successful student outcome than any other thing or the collective belief is everybody believing everyone believing that they can make a difference but everyone Instead actually acting on it as well on it as well we can all say we could all believe say, yeah but it's the action means more exactly else. so it's like this collective kind of collective culture is yeah. what i call it right so i kind of looked at that then and i was like what what consistency is needed in schools so we, we looked at touch points, right? Kind of to some of the things we were talking about a while ago, the greeting in the morning, the meet and greet, greet and end and send. How do we meet in the morning and how do we send them away? There's another one then like, like checking in, I try and check in on the staff every morning, every morning, regardless. I heard, I heard a principal in Dublin refer to it as talking the kids into bed. Mm -hmm. So you go around just for, it takes 15 minutes of your time. You can spare 15 minutes of time to make sure all the staff are okay, but then if there's any problem with any kids or any kind of child that's worried or anxious or, or having a difficulty that basically I know about it and we can do something about it and we can bring someone in to help them. Um, so in having that kind of as a collective practice, basically how our routines are, how our transitions are and our language, what language we use to get attention, what language we use, having a neuroformative strength, strength-based language like so. Every school, every school in the country will have autistic children in their class. They'll have children with various other different needs, but having the respectful language around, around it yeah. and having it as a, as a kind of like a collective language base that we actually use mm -hmm. across the school and it's a respectful language. You said something there, there, there and um, I, I just think it's important to ask you this question because I'm after asking it to a few academics and experts that we've had in the past. What do you believe the rise in uh, autistic kids is today compared to what, what it was years ago? Well, that's, There's such a debate around is it the food? Is it what we're drinking? Is it processed food? Is it sugars? Or is it just pollution in the environment? You know, or is it just that? Years ago, we didn't know what ought be more diagnosed. I think, like, I think, like, it's what he's done. I, I wouldn't know to be honest with you, yeah. and I don't know that. Like, I will say, like, I suppose awareness is a kind of a thing if you did, if you don't, if you didn't know what to look for. And mm -hmm. then again, like, we could be come, you could be coming back in 20 years, and like, at the moment, like, the, 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 girls kind of have different autistic traits than boys. So we could come back in 20 years and say, we missed all of this as well in 20 years in girls, yeah. you know, because girls typically would have the kind of, would it would have a quieter yes. demeanor. Yeah. So you just don't know. Same with ADHD. It's the same with ADHD. It's the same with any, any, I suppose, additional need that's there. 
awareness is everything. So you just don't know. It could always have been there. It's just now we're more aware of things. Do you know in your school, is it expensive for ch- for ch- people to send or is it? Oh, no, it's free. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and actually, yeah, no, just not. So it's not like this kind of posh school is for, is not. for everybody. No. And, and like, to be fair, like, I'm going to be the first to say it as well. Like, well, we have fantastic staff and we have a fantastic school. We have fantastic parents and fantastic children. But there are loads of fantastic schools that are doing the same, if not more, yeah. in mind. Like, like schooling now, it, it, like in primary level is, is fantastic, you know? And like, there are schools around the country doing amazing, amazing stuff. You have to take your hand off to the teachers. Yeah. You have to, like, because I tell you, they're doing some amazing work. I've, I've working with different teachers in the last few years around different projects and whatever else. And I have to say it, like the compassion and understanding that they have for some of the, te- some of the kids, you know, some, particularly those kids that are, are struggling and who have be- behavioral issues, you know, it's like they understand them and they can meet them at their level. I think it's amazing. And, and there's a lot to be said for, for teachers and as well. Can I just say one thing as well, like on that, like one of the things when I did the research with teachers, you know, and you might think, you might think it was like dealing with behaviors was kind of driving, was it, I call it either enabling, enabling well-being or um, inhibiting well-being, right? You think it's actually dealing with the behavior that is the thing that inhibits well-being. That's not at all, actually. What it is, is that what I, what I found was that talking to, talking through it is, it's the occupational guilt of not knowing what to do and how to help the child. Everyone really wanted to help the children. But so it's it's the access to services, mm. like children that have sensory difficulties, sensory processing difficulties, not having access to an OT to tell you how you can help the child in school. It created this mad sense of occupational guilt. And that was the inhibitor of well-being, not actually the actual dealing. I think everyone wants to wants to, I suppose, you know, do the right thing by children, but it's the guilt of just not knowing what to do. Mm. So I think like access to services was, it was a thing. And also what I've kind of done as well, I've brought in an occupational therapist into my training program. Like I, th- I thought it was kind of funny there. You're calling me like an expert or an academic or an academic. I don't think I'm any of them to be honest, isn't you, right? That's how <laughs> you're going to be perceived now. Yeah, no, I'm not but, one of them at all, to be honest. But, but listen, you, you know a lot but, more than most people. Yeah, well, look, and that, that, that's today where we're, we're living in a society where there's such a lack of, of knowledge around trauma informed and all these other issues that we're having. Somebody that knows more than others is definitely somebody that if you do a PhD, you're an expert. No, okay. In, yeah, but that, yeah. my buddies give me a slagging about that. You're being you know? humble. My, my, my buddies, no, I'm not. Like, because yeah. if you knew my group of friends there, no, they actually will bring you down to yeah. bring you down to life fairly yeah. quickly. Like, and there, there don't was, be calling yourself doctor anytime no, soon. No, with I, I try and do it for the laugh. <laughs> they, 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 they're, they're literally, literally take the piss completely out of me. But what I was kind of saying is that, like, yeah, I am an expert in a tiny little area. Like, yeah. it's one tiny, 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 tiny. But it is important, like, but kind of what I was kind of saying as well is like, I kind of know my limitations too, you know, and that's really important to know my limitations. So what I've done for my own kind of training program, it's called the Well Schools Network. It's, it's a spin out from my PhD. So basically we've turned my PhD project into, into an actual tangible program that schools can do. Right. But what I've done is that like, I felt a bit disingenuous going in well I haven't done it but going attempting to go in and talk about like when we're talking about sensory sensory difficulties like and yes I do know the different types of sensory breaks and our staff would know but I I don't feel equipped to teach what an occupational therapist can teach the staff so like we can all have therapeutic moments in our day like but actually getting training from a trained professional to show you how to do it properly is really, really important. So I brought an occupational t- uh, therapist, um, my OT and me, she is Jess Kennedy. She's a phenomenal person, but to teach the staff how to actually give the right type of sensory break, mm-hmm. talking about dysregulated adults and children, but like sometimes knowledge again is everything, right? And if you have a child who's dysregulated, and you bring them outside and have them running around, it actually makes them become more dysregulated. Mm. So 
JSROT will teach you how to actually calm down the the, um, the hyper child. Like not even the hyper child. Like it's just a child that just needs a calming break. Uh, so and the language around it, a calming and organizing break or an alerting break. I put the Red Bull back in the fridge. Yeah, or the yeah, the, the prime. My young fella is on about that all the yeah, time. Yeah. He sees it and I tell you all the time. But you know, yeah. like yeah, I told him, he's I, not allowed till he's eighteen. I seen Duns the other day. Did a lot of them. We're off topic a little bit. Yeah. Only four per customer. They were probably buying this stuff, like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, what what she said, do you know that stuff? That started off with a price tag of £15. I know. Initially. Ridiculous. Oh, Jesus, man. I was over in England last year with Smarfla and his friends, and we were at a match. And it was a big deal. Like, the kids were literally, like, crying on the streets for their mums and dads. Oh, yeah. Because it was on YouTube every day. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, that's, that's what my, I, my fellow I've never, like, I've never let him have, have yeah. anything like that. Like, sure, right. And yeah, which right, like. is funny, like, it's like, what's this prime, dad? What's this yeah. prime? He's always that about, like, yeah. but, yeah. but you know, it's, it's a lot of shit. Tell him, <laughs> yeah, just get him an empty bottle and put some diluted into it. Yeah. Yeah. But then, then also, I suppose, one of the things then as well, I suppose, that the student voice part told me, okay, like, and like, we do a lot of outdoor learning. So yeah. outdoor learning and sustainability and teaching children about like sustainable environments. Not it's actually not teaching them, it's actually just getting them playing outdoors actually gives them an appreciation of it. But a mad one for you actually, right? This is a, is a mad one because one of the things that came up for me was that the kids actually wasn't actually doing well in school or achieving. They enjoyed learning, like cognitive well-being and metacognition and learning how we learn. Kids really enjoyed it. Mm. Like. I found it mad. Yeah. None of the adults actually picked up on that, to be honest with you. Yeah. When I, when because I did a lot of interviews, a lot of focus groups with teachers, principals, but no one actually kind of said, ah, the learning side of things is kind of, um, is, is like, except the kids. And they were adamant about it, but I tell you, they were just like, literally, they were kind of saying, yeah, we love learning. And I was like, it has to be your art or it has to be your, no, no, we love all the parts of it. We all love the actual, they loved, I think it was just like that. Learning at their at their le- at their own level was fun for them. It's like, fun for them. Yeah. I think that's what kind of yeah. that's a thing that I hadn't even thought about. If I'm a principal in a school and I'm listening to this or watching this on YouTube, where they should subscribe by letter. <laughs> but you know, if I was in, if I was a principal and I, have, I was responsible for a school and I wanted my staff trained in this workshop here or program. How would they go about it? Just contact. You can contact me, Dave at WSN.ie is, is my email. I will say as well, like, I'm going to say, like, it's not like a, like, every, I think sometimes everyone looks for a quick fix, right? No. And a, and a, like a toolbox or, or a golden pill or something like that. No. It kind of doesn't work like that, right? There are some brilliant, brilliant people out there that has training. Like nurture, nurture, training for nurture rooms is fantastic. And mm. um, what what I do is really, really good. And um, there's other ones like there's other programs as well that are trauma informed. Like I did a program called the Berry Street Model of Education as well. Fantastic as well. It, they're based in Australia. Like it's kind of like what's your what what fit is your is going to fit your school. Like, mm. you know, like if you're, if you're with a staff that are open to trauma and farm practice and open to this, by all means, give me a call. Like, you yeah. know, talking about staff, say I'm, uh, I want to work in your school as a teacher and you're interviewing me. What are you looking for in the teacher? They have their degree and they might have their masters, but what set, what, what sets them apart? Like what's the type of personality? What's the type of, for your culture and your school, what are you looking for? Compassion, I think is one thing. Um, how do you find how, how you know it's comparison to something that's that's probably fake in the arts off? Yeah, like some sometimes Central. sometimes you can. Yeah. I've had I have some fabulous people like like just going I'll give you an example, right? And I give you an example of what is the wrong answer. What? <laughs> no, it was the wrong answer to the question. Yeah. But for me it was the right answer. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Honesty, I suppose. Yeah, it was really honest, but like so basically it was a it was a question um about like what's well, the first thing if you do? You're you're teaching an autism class and what's the first thing you do? And she could said, Well, I wouldn't look at their reports for for, for a couple of weeks because I'd like to get to know the individual child first. No judgment. And 
I was kind of like, that's probably the wrong answer. But for me, that was the right thing yeah. because she wanted to do the right thing by the child. And she didn't want to kind of say, look, I should not want to look at a farm or an assessment. She'd go in with stand. And go in saying, oh, this child does this and does that. But I was kind of like, it was probably the wrong answer, but I really like how. Yeah. yeah. I really, you know what I mean? How that could have went wrong for her if it was a different school. Uh, if yeah. that was a different school, that could have, she would have lost the interview straight away. So, so I kind of, I kind of, it wasn't actually the right answer, but it was, it was, I liked the way she kind of came about it. I and then, that's the right I, approach. I think, I think as well, like having examples, like when people give you examples about, about themselves, themselves, yeah. You can kind of see the human touch of some of it. Because mm -hmm. you can yeah. see the emotion. You, know, fake. Yeah. you can't fake emotion. No, you can't. You can't. You genuinely can't. Like, yeah. and like, you, you can't fake genuine. Uh, you'll get the energy. Empathy or your yeah, and it's just, it's, it's there, James. You know, the emotion comes through experience, their own experience, particularly yeah. if they're talking about it. And it, you can't, I don't think you can actually, empathy is another thing that like, you spoke about compassion and empathy. Like, I don't think you can fake empathy. Like, mm -hmm. do you know, like, it's empathy is a thing that's either in here or, or it's not like, you know, and like, to be honest with you, I hate interviews anyway, because I think they're the, the most false things of all time. Yeah, yeah, Do you know what I mean? But at the same that, time, yeah, but at the same time, evil, isn't it? yeah, they, they are necessary. But and like what you're talking about there is goes back to Carl Rogers person sent like what he was talking about. Like it doesn't matter who you are. If you're working in a capacity where you're helping a vulnerable person, you have to be compassionate. You have to be empathetic, unconditional, positive regard. Yeah. Like these are non-negotiables. That's and actually you, one of the principles of, of what I say yeah, as well. Unconditional, positive regard. Yeah, well, if you're looking for a wingman, I'm one of them <laughs> uh, workshops. <laughs> <meet>. <laughs> yeah, on the ball, I'd love it. Is there anything you'd like to add before we finish? No, I like just thanks a million. Um, you know, it's lovely to have the chat, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, very, very interesting. Anyway. Yeah. Thank you for coming like, on. And again, like, you know, like I kind of like it's teaching is a hard job, like, and I suppose like principal being a principal is a really hard job too, you know, but it kind of everyone and I suppose just trying to make sure every trying to, what I'm trying to do is trying to make, inform people and give people the bit of knowledge. Cause when you know, you know, and you can do something about it and like, what you're doing is changing lives. Dude. Yeah, like, and it's kind of like, do you ever see, I, I showed this video this morning at, at a workshop we was doing, you know, do you ever see the video of Ian Wright there with Mr. Pigeon? Yeah. That shows the power of one good adult. Yeah. I think that video, like, it's very an emotive thing. You see it. Ian Wright was oh, a man. Puff. He was a bit of a wild child. Yeah, he looked at jail, didn't he? He did, yeah. Uh, you detention. He was on a bad path, but there was this one teacher that looked after him. Yeah. And really nurtured him, didn't he? But yeah. they reunited for a BBC documentary a couple of years ago. But he, oh, yeah. He was wrong crying, right? Yeah, yeah, but Ian Wright thought he was dead, you know? Yeah. And Ian Wright went from, like, being, like, a man in his 50s to be in like a five year old. They brought him out as a surprise, you know? In, and I swear to God, it just shows you the importance of one, what one good adult can do. Like, and that's kind of like, I all, we all have one, someone yeah, like that. We, that's why you get emotional if you think, because we all have that one adult in our lives, or two maybe. You'd be bald enough if you saw this video. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but yeah. what I always say to the staff, like, is imagine, right? every adult in the in the whole building was your one good adult right and imagine the transformational power that can have right and like one of my teachers one of my teachers summed it up brilliantly one day and probably in better way that i could is like like we were kind of thinking of ways to kind of sum things up about what we want to do and we, we want to be and she summed it up brilliantly she said she loved the saying of be the teacher that you needed when you were a child that's it. Boy. And I think that kind of that is it. kind of leave it like that. that. Like so so if every teacher kind of had that and kind of trauma informed knowledge and, and then you know the child and finding out what they need to, isn't it? That could be take time. But even like the it having them that one a good adult or a school full of good adults can be a brilliant counterweight to the difficulties they experience at home. Well relationship is the buffer, like relationship is the big regulator. Like I know Bruce Perry there, we were talking about him. You should get him on, actually. There's a lot of talk about Bruce. Yeah, you should get him. Yeah, we should actually <laughs> leave it with me. That was a joke. Say no more. But basically, he often says it. Yeah. Relationship is the buffer. 
and relational regulation is the best form of regulation. Yeah. You know, so so it's kind of about the people and about yeah. the good way to finish, Dave. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks for your time. Cheers. Thank Thanks, Will. Thanks for talking. Thanks to everybody next week. God bless, lads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.